Hey y'all. So when it comes to bodies, weight loss is not really something that I'm pursuing right now. But as you know, one of Vanessa's family members has been taking a GLP-1 medication and it's worked really well for him. So if that is part of your journey, you should check out the Roe Body Program. Roe provides access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Roe's partner handles all the insurance paperwork to help get the medication covered. If eligible for medication, patients have access to their provider on demand for any questions. Go to ro.co slash infamous. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash infamous. Campsite Media. Paul Erickson was a Republican political operative, a publicist, a one-time film producer, an entrepreneur, and a con man. And he'd been traipsing around the country, jumping from one opportunity to the next, looking for any coattail he could ride all the way to the top. Through all his adventures, he was always a bachelor, never getting pinned down in a boring long-term relationship. But that was about to change because he'd finally met someone that he thought could fit into the bigger picture of his life. And now they'd moved in together in an apartment building in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. It's a lot of older people. In fact, we used to call it a pre-nursing home apartment. That's Shirley Helene, who lived in the same building. He had some good ways of getting to know people. Erickson stood out, and not just for his relatively young age. Whenever I'd have company, he'd come over with brownies and different things, and he was always telling me these big stories. Other tenants also took note of his much younger girlfriend. And I got to know his girlfriend uh, quite well because she would come here several weekends, and I'd see her down in the exercise room. Maria Butina, the Russian gun rights activist. She was always sort of following him. But they were together all the time. Well, I ask a lot of questions. People are always gossiping, you know, about everybody. We were all wondering here what their relationship was, people in the apartment. Shirley's conclusion? I think he was using her and she was using him. From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Infamous. I'm Vanessa Gregoriadis. This is episode two of a three-part story, Fool Me Twice. So the story Paul Gladder is telling you about this strange guy from South Dakota is about to get a lot stranger. And by that, I mean stranger than Erickson's Fritz Busters skit or his stint as media advisor for John Bobbitt, the guy whose wife cut off his penis. Because now he was running around the country with Maria Butina, a redheaded Russian who said she just loved guns. She even gave a speech on gun rights at the University of South Dakota. She and Paul also hit the NRA National Convention in Indianapolis. They went to the Freedom Fest in Las Vegas. And here, Maria got to ask a question of Donald Trump. My question will be about foreign politics. Okay. If you would be elected as a president, 
what will be your foreign policy, politics, especially in the relationships with my country. And do you want to continue the politics of sanctions that are damaging of both economy, or you have any other ideas? I believe I would get along very nicely with Putin. Okay? And I mean, where we have the strength. I don't think you'd need the sanctions. I think that we would get along very, very well. To be clear, there's no evidence that this conversation was set up or anything like that. But here's another thing. Maria wasn't just Erickson's girlfriend or a gun rights activist. She had some even stranger things going on. On one hand, she enrolled in graduate school at American University. And on the other hand, she was also close to an important Russian politician and a Putin ally, Alexander Torshin. So here, I'm going to bring in Paul Gladder's co-reporter and another narrator, Mary Kudahy. So in 2011, there was a right to bear arms meeting, and that's where Maria met Torshin. He was close with Putin. He was even nicknamed the Godfather for his alleged connections to organized crime. According to Politico, the year before he met Maria, Torshin helped orchestrate a spy swap between the U.S. and Russia. The FBI arrested 10 undercover Russian spies, and Russia wanted them back. I know, it sounds like an episode of The Americans, right? Now, Erickson had some serious anti-Soviet bona fides, as we talked about last episode. Burning the Russian flag, allegedly dropping supplies to the Mujahideen in Afghanistan back in the 1980s. Still, Maria's ties to Torshin made her a conduit to Russian administrations, and American companies would be eager for a way into such a big economy. I was curious about all of Paul's political maneuvering during this time, and I wanted to learn more. So I called a woman named Susan Holden. I think Paul always was seduced by power. Susan Holden is an investor who went to Yale with Erickson. She met Maria when Erickson brought her to a meeting at Susan's office. And so Maria, with her connections with the Russian NRA, gave Paul a sense that he could be a big shot by trying to leverage her connections in Russia. You know, Torshin was a pretty big connection. He was going to leverage that to make his own standing in the Republican Party in the U.S. more important. So Maria and Erickson set about cultivating friends in high places. A real hustler's tale, complete with charm and calculated generosity, each using the other for their own purposes. Maria using Erickson's Republican connections to foster Russian-American relations and to help finance her studies at American University. Erickson using Maria's good looks and gun cred to gain access to another rung of Republican politics. They made a splash at ritzy events around DC. They swept into Trump's inauguration ball, Maria in a glittering green evening gown Erickson dressed in a bow tie and red satin cummerbund. They were just a power couple. Or were they? A young Russian woman running around in high-level circles is going to perk up some ears. And it wasn't long before there was a really big turning point 
involving the U.S. government. That's after the break. I've always struggled with finding time to manage my finances. At the end of a busy week, the last thing I want to do is spend time budgeting all of my expenses or tracking down customer service teams to cancel old subscriptions I no longer use. But now I use Rocket Money and it does all that for me. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses. I can see all my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com infamous. That's rocketmoney.com infamous. rocketmoney.com infamous. Anybody who has a sibling knows that sibling fights are unavoidable. But what if every fight you had was under a microscope, on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince Harry and Prince William. They'd been each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother. But that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wandry's podcast, Disintel, is hosted by comedians Sidney Battle and Matt Belisai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle? Or was it something that began much earlier? Follow Disintel on the Wandery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Infamous from Campside Media. So Paul and Maria were enjoying America. But you can't run around town with a possible Russian spy without eventually raising some eyebrows. I mean, by this point, the Steele dossier had leaked. The Mueller investigation had started. And President Trump's national security advisor, Michael Flynn, had been caught lying to the FBI about his conversations with the Russian ambassador. People in Washington were paying very close attention to the Russians orbiting Trump. And Maria Butina was hard to miss. She certainly could have played the part of the Russian honeypot. She was young, pretty, sophisticated, like in the movie Red Sparrow, where Jennifer Lawrence plays a Russian spy using sex to uncover state secrets. Every human being is a puzzle of need. You must become the missing piece, and they will tell you anything. For now, Maria was in some serious trouble on the political front. What she'd actually done to help the Russians was unclear, but she was drawing suspicion. The Senate Judiciary Committee asked the Trump team about its communications with Maria, Torshin, and Erickson. Then word got around that the FBI was investigating whether Torshin had illegally funneled money to the NRA to help Trump win the presidency. There's been an article in the Daily Beast that 
had kind of suggested a, a, a Russian intelligence connection. Bob Driscoll is a Washington, D.C.-based attorney who would eventually represent Butina. You heard from him in the last episode. I was struck that she was very smart. I mean, she was clearly interested in America beyond a typical kind of study abroad student. My, I mean, my view was, look, Maria, I, I don't know what your story is. I don't particularly care. If the best thing for you is to graduate in May from American and hop the next Aeroflot back to Moscow, I'm totally fine with that. Maria was called into the Senate Intelligence Committee, where she was grilled for eight hours behind closed doors on Russian meddling in the election. Nine days after the questioning, Bob Driscoll got another call. I'm driving to work, and I get a call from Maria. I remember this, the Russian accent. I'm in the car, it's not Bluetooth. And she says, Bob, I hate to bother you. And I said, Dude, I know bother Maria, what's up? She said, there are 10 FBI agents at my front door. And I said, uh, oh, okay, um, make sure they have a warrant and tell them your lawyer's on the way. She hung up. Bob got to work trying to figure out what was going on. He touched base with Robert Mueller's office, who was carrying out an investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election. Maybe Maria was mistakenly mixed up in that. I just thought it was kind of a, an administrative snafu. So I called and I left a message to a contact out there and I said, hey, what the fuck? Why are you sending in the door kickers to get Maria's stuff? I just gave Senate Intel you know, 8,000 documents on a thumb drive. I can give you the same thumb drive. You don't need to rest your apartment um, and go to get the same stuff. Um, and then they called me back and were like, not us. And I said, what? <laughs> what do you mean, not you? And they said, not us. We, we are not. Whoever, you know, is searching, not us. It, it's coming from another part of law enforcement. Bob went to Maria's apartment, a neatly kept red brick building. So I showed up, found the lead FBI agent at the scene as they're going through Maria's stuff. And he was FBI counter intel. So that obviously told me something. Counterintelligence as in the division of the FBI that investigates spies. They were going to arrest her and put her in prison. And they had not one, but two search warrants. One out of the District of DC, um, and one out of the District of South Dakota. So I was like, what the hell? Uh, and that is when I kind of hauled Marie out to the hallway to talk to her. She said, oh, Paul had his apartment searched. And at that point, I said, well, well, what's that about? And she said, well, that was business stuff. It didn't seem to have anything to do with this, and that she didn't know much about his business affairs. So Bob gets in touch with the FBI agent who executed the search warrant on Erickson. So when I finally got a hold of the South Dakota people, the South Dakota FBI agent was, it was a chatty Cathy that was helpful when you're a defense lawyer. Is he basically said, I got no problem with your girl. Um, we executed that search warrant because we think Paul's a bad guy in terms of fraud. We got a fraud case against him. The FBI was after Erickson for reasons that had nothing to do with Maria. More after the break. 
Back in the 90s, Pepsi and Coca-Cola were in a heated race to try and win loyal customers by any means necessary. But when Pepsi launched an ambitious promotion that encouraged people to buy Pepsi and redeem points for prizes, they overlooked their own fine print in a major way. On each episode of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop, comedians join host Misha Brown to chronicle one of the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question. Who thought this was a good idea? Like, who at Pepsi thought it would be a good idea to advertise that people could earn enough points to redeem a military jet as a prize? When they launched their Pepsi points system, they never imagined somebody might actually try to snag it. But a 23-year-old did. And suddenly, Pepsi owed him a jet. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Big Flop early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Infamous from Campside Media. So Maria was being sort of unmasked as a Russian spy, or at least that was the story. But Paul Erickson himself seemed like the government was alleging he might be doing some cons too. I hadn't kept up much with Paul in the last decade, even though there were some rumblings in South Dakota about him not being fully on the up and up. I was surprised to hear about all of this, so I started calling around to see what else I could find out. One of the many people I spoke to was Susan Holden, Erickson's classmate at Yale. And of course, in hindsight, the, that as a lie was just one little tiny lie of the giant world of lies. I do not think he is capable of telling the truth. You have to also remember that Paul traveled to very unusual places, Russia, Afghanistan. Um, he was always very mysterious. Though they hadn't been close in college, the two became good friends later in life. As I knew myself, Erickson was kind of an intriguing guy to know. All of us who were his friends assumed he was working for the government because he also didn't have a job. I was absolutely convinced he worked for the CIA or the NSA all those years. Erickson told her he was raising money to purchase land in the Bakken oil fields of North Dakota, which was experiencing a boom. An influx of oil workers and a shortage of housing meant there was an opportunity to build new developments. It didn't feel like I was investing in a business, in which case I would have a deck and financials. I then went on a trip with my 80-year-old mother to get my mother to see all 50 states. And I told Paul that I was going to South Dakota and, of course, North Dakota as part of this. Susan wanted to see her investment in person. Paul decided to meet up there and showed up in person and drove my 80-year-old mother around the Dakotas for four days talking about how wonderful this investment was. He took us to a real estate development in Williston, North Dakota, where my mother took a picture of us, Paul and I, with his arms around me, making the big thumbs up, indicating that this was where my money was. Except it wasn't. 
the FBI later told me he never owned a single stick of real estate in that town. Obviously, the only reason he came along on this road trip was to keep me from getting to Williston on my own and going to some office somewhere and saying, hi, I'm Susan Holden. I'm one of the Paul Erickson investors. Can you give me a tour of our development? But man, a lot of effort. He took my yeah. mother to mass. I used to say to him sometimes, gosh, Paul, I hope you're not the Bernie Madoff of the Bakken. Ha ha ha. That joke would end up being uncomfortably close to the truth because Erickson had actually taken hundreds of thousands of dollars from investors to develop housing that never even existed. And as Mary and I called around, we found more people who claimed to have problems with Erickson. I had an office in the same building where he had an office. He was across the hall from me. Loretta was an insurance agent. At one point, she was even Erickson's insurance agent for that car with the vanity license plate. And the right-wing car, the little red car. So when he asked her to invest in a North Dakota housing development, she was game and maybe even a little vulnerable. My husband passed away in 2011. It was after that. So yeah, caught me at a point in time. It's a little locked down. She invested upwards of $50,000 in two rounds. But I will say I did, um, as one of the more fortunate ones, I did get payments. Like any good Ponzi scheme, he used money coming in from one investor to pay off another. And even though she eventually got some of her money back, Loretta's gut told her something was off. I was not surprised when the FBI came knocking on my door at all. FBI Special Agent Matt Miller was assigned to Erickson's case. Washington uh, field office called us uh, with just a simple inquiry about Maria Butina and said, you know, we have an address that she has used in South Dakota. It's also associated with a guy named uh, Paul Erickson. Can you see, is she living there? But then when we started to look at Paul and try to figure out who he was, things didn't make sense in the way they normally do. Matt started digging. We had com complaints involving him taking money from a godmother and from his mother and from his sister and from classmates at Yale, from a childhood friend, from a person who cut his hair. And he really developed very intense emotional attachments. A typical con man will take as much as he can from someone and then disappear out of their life, never to be heard from again, right? In fact, that's usually one of the hallmarks. They keep calling and they can't get a hold of them. But in Paul's case, he, and for all I know, continues to this day to send birthday cards to people from whom he's taken money. This is something he did with me. Even though Erickson never took any money from me, I would get a birthday email each year. It really made me feel warm toward him. Agent Miller says he traced Erickson's first scam back to the late 1990s. Back then, Erickson was giving out a business card that said he was head of Compass Care. So Compass Care was a business that purported to design, uh, build, and operate assisted living centers. He had a minister who was also a, a victim, but an employee who was going out trying to market this uh, to different communities. It was mostly the common pitch, we'll return double on your money or whatever. Erickson conned dozens of investors with this pitch. 
One guy invested $25,000 and was told it would grow to $800,000. He would also sometimes use the uh, same victims for multiple schemes. And they'd say, well, geez, you know, I know things are really not working out in this compass care, but I have this new project. And how about if we roll some of your money over into that? And I think we can make all your money back and then some. Around 2010, Erickson got in touch with an old friend from South Dakota who had developed a wheelchair that was compatible with regular toilets and avoided the indignity of having someone lift you in and out of your wheelchair when you needed to use the bathroom. It was kind of a, a brilliant uh, idea. But he was having trouble with the business aspect of it. That's where Erickson stepped in. Paul offered to help. And this was a patented invention. Paul was supposed to go out and try to get a larger company to buy the patent and then actually take it into production. And he, he really failed at that. So uh, Paul then sort of adopted the idea as his own and began then selling investments in the company to people, sometimes telling them that his, his company was producing wheelchairs, other times telling them something closer to the truth, which was that he was trying to sell the patent to a larger company to get it produced and then people would in, invest in it. This supposed business was called investing with dignity. Yeah, I know, pretty undignified. Over the course of 22 years, Erickson defrauded at least 76 people. And the evidence was overwhelming. As I learned more, I thought the case was definitely closed and that Erickson would spend several years in prison. But all's not fair in love and war especially when the president can overturn the courts. Next time on Infamous, our final episode on Paul Erickson. Predicate for her presence in America was not to be a Red Sparrow. The fraud scheme lasted for so long. They never had a presidential pardon. Infamous is a production of Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment. It's created, executive produced, and hosted by Gabriel Sherman and me, Vanessa Gregoriadis. Shoshi Shmulovitz is our managing producer and editor. Garrett Graham, Grace Hureman, and Lily Houston-Smith are our associate producers. This episode was written by Natalie Robamed, Paul Gladder, and Mary Kudahi, and edited by me and Rajiv Gola. Fact-checking by Marilla Geish. Sound design by David Devereaux and recording by Ewan Leitremuet. This episode is based on public records and court records. See you next week. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. 
code PROGRAM.